hope of ever finding the perfect gift. In fact, I've had some conversation over the last few weeks that I have brought about some unneeded stress and many of you as now your husband or your wife is saying, I can't wait to see the perfect gift that is under the tree this year. That was not my intent. I, I uh, Just trust me on that. But we've been talking about it nonetheless. And one thing that we have said is that the perfect gift tends to be the most well thought out gift. That rather than just going into a store and just thinking, what can I get this person or what might they like? That instead there was actually some thought that was put behind it. That there was actually some consideration that was made. And so that tends to be the perfect gift. The one that is the most well thought out. And uh, when it comes to well thought out gifts, certainly there is no gift more well thought out than the gift of salvation. The gift of everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Can I hear a good amen if you believe that today? Um, How well thought out? Again, the book of Revelation tells us that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth. That's an amazing thought because what he is saying is that long before God created anything, let alone man, but long before he created man, long before he ever gave us free will, and long before he ever gave us the opportunity to exercise that free will in rebelling against the Lord, God had already determined that the final solution for the sin problem would be the sacrifice of his only son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And even knowing that, he still went ahead with creation of man in his image according to his likeness. Who could even begin to understand the love of God that he would continue to go ahead even though when man sinned, he knew his son would be sacrificed for our salvation. Can you give God praise for all of his great love and great mercy to us today in Jesus' name. Now, the last time we were together, what we said was that perhaps, perhaps, the pursuit of the perfect gift would actually require a radical shift in our thinking with regards to uh, the whole ritual of giving gifts. Uh, and, and that would just simply mean that rather than looking at gift giving as just exchanging physical objects, that we would actually see gift giving as an alternative form of communication. Because let's be honest, every time you send a gift, you're sending a message. Every time you give a gift, you are saying something. And that is evident the moment that you watch someone open up a gift. There is a message that is being sent with every gift that you send. And so maybe, maybe the pursuit of the perfect gift would begin not with the question, what will I get them this year? But with the question, what do I want to say to them this year? And then the follow-up question would simply be, What is the gift I will give that will best say it? And the reason that we have stated this is because there came a moment in the heart of the Father when He said, I want to tell mankind I love them. And the gift that I am going to give that will best say it is my only Son. How many of you are thankful that He gave us His Son 
to show us how much He loves us. And that's why Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 1 and verses 1 and 2, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. And in that one verse, we learn that the purpose for the coming of the Son of God in the flesh was to reveal to us God in all of His glory, in all of His splendor, and in all of His majesty, and to actually declare to us the heart of the Father. And so every time we read the words of Christ, and as the New Testament authors expounded upon what Christ initiated in His ministry, we are hearing the Father heart to mankind in Jesus' mighty name. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been trying to really discover what is God saying to us? What is the Son saying to us? What is the Spirit saying to us this Christmas season? And as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, rather than just start picking out scriptures at random, that I thought it would be much more mature of us to actually look at some very specific things that Jesus said. And we look, we're looking at the seven final statements that Jesus made from the cross before he committed his life and his spirit to the hands of the Father. And the reason that we've chosen those ones is just because these are the final words that he speaks. And I would never uh, try to convince you that, that these words encapsulate all of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I would tell you that they are very powerful statements. And we could spend the rest of the year breaking down each one of those statements. And at the end of the year, I can tell you, we wouldn't have even scratched the surface of what could be told in those seven declarations that he made. But we're doing our best just to very quickly go through them. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you know that we looked at the first three. I have four that i got to get through here this morning, but we're going to get it. We're going to do it together. We're going to look at these final four statements just to hear what the Father is saying to us this Christmas season. And again, I just want to quickly remind you of where we've already been. The very first thing that Jesus said from the cross, recorded in Luke 23, is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And here we hear the Lord saying, I'm interceding for you. Forgive as you have been forgiven. The second statement that Jesus made from the cross was, Today you will be with me in paradise. And here we hear the Lord saying, I'm preparing a place for you. Do not let your heart be troubled. The third statement that Jesus made from the cross, looking at his mother, Mary, was, Woman, behold thy son, looking at John, the beloved disciple of Christ. And then looking at John, he says, Behold thy mother. And here we hear the Lord saying, I still love the family, fight for yours. And so now we're going to move to that fourth statement. And the fourth statement that Jesus made came around the ninth hour when he cried out with a loud voice in Matthew 27 and said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now there are two messages that I believe are being declared in this one statement. And I want to share with them, share them both with you very quickly here. First of all, I hear the Father saying to us, life is hard 
it's okay to ask why. Uh, I want to be very clear on this. I would never stand before you this morning and try to convince you that this is the primary message made in that statement. I wouldn't even try to persuade you that it is the secondary message that is made in this statement. But I do believe that nestled very tenderly within the depths of these words is the Father saying to all who would ever trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, I know that life is hard. And I know that life is challenging. And I know that it's difficult. And I know that it can be very confusing. And I know that it doesn't help when you don't always understand my ways. And you don't always understand my thoughts. And you certainly do not understand my timing. But I want you to know, son, I want you to know, daughter, that when your heart is overwhelmed, it's okay to come to me and ask why. I hear that in the Father's heart. You know, for a long time here at Bethel, I have taught you that I believe that there is a vast difference between Asking God a question and questioning God. There is a vast difference between the one who defiantly shakes his fist in the face of God and demands why, and the one who being crushed under the weight of their present circumstances humbles himself before the Father and asks why. When, when we question God, it is an affront to Him. Because no matter how you look at it, the moment that you position yourself to the place where you're questioning God, where you're interrogating God, where you are forcing God to answer to you, then you are putting yourself in a position where you are elevated above God. Where you're saying my values and my thoughts and my ways and my morality is actually greater than yours. And so now God, you have to answer to me. You have to explain your actions to me. And folks, I'm going to tell you, how dare man stand before the holy God of all creation and demand that he explain himself. When from Genesis to Revelation, God has proven of, of all things that even though He is just and even though He is fair in all of His dealings with mankind, He is merciful in all of His ways. Even in those problematic scriptures of judgment that come to us in the Old Testament, if you would take them in the total counsel of God's Word, you would discover that even when judgment came down, it was oftentimes brought about only after, in some cases, centuries of mercy were granted to men and women, giving them plenty of time to repent and turn from their ways. I want you to know, just because you and I may not understand the ways of God does not mean that God is not just and fair and merciful in every situation. And God doesn't have to explain Himself to anyone. And so it is an affront when we question God. But I will also tell you, that it is impossible for you and I to grow if we do not ask questions. I mean, think about it. One of the earliest lessons that we learn as young men and young women is that if we don't understand, 
ask. Our parents taught us that. Our professors taught us that. Our teachers taught us that. As we go through this material, I know some of it is hard to understand. And if you're having a hard time with it, just ask us. And we will explain it to you. And the same is true in our walk with God. How would I ever grow? How would I ever gain knowledge unless I was willing to ask God questions? I mean, just think about it for a moment. How would Mary and Martha standing at the tomb of their brother Lazarus, have ever known that sometimes God doesn't show up on our timetable so that when he does show up, it'll be at the exact moment necessary for he and the Son to be glorified unless they asked him, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Why did you delay? How would the Apostle Paul have ever known that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness and that when we are weak, He is strong unless when His body was being afflicted with a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, He asked, Lord, I pleaded with You now three times that this would depart from me. Why does it still remain? Can I tell you today, when Jesus hung on that cross and said, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? He gave permission to every child of God to come to him and ask him when their heart is overwhelmed, why, almighty God, is this being allowed? Why is this happening? And the reason that I'm sharing that with you is because I know that the holidays and Christmas in particular can be a very difficult time because some of you are coming into Christmas and even into this new year with a very heavy heart. Some of you have failed and the consequences that you're bearing now as a result of your failure are more than you can handle. Some of you have lost a loved one and it's being really reminded to you every time someone comes to you and wishes you a Merry Christmas. Some of you have had a marriage fail in this last year. Some of you have been diagnosed with a sickness and the doctors are not giving you that much hope right now. And all of these can be occasions for bitterness and anger and hatred to get into our heart against Almighty God. But God stands before you today and tells you, no, you don't have to have that bitterness. You can come to me and ask me why I'm a tender-hearted father. You don't have to carry it any longer. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. You know, I love what James says. James says, if any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of the Father who gives liberally. And I don't believe that that is just general wisdom. I believe that that is specific wisdom. That even in the darkest times of your life, you don't have to stand away from God. You can press in and say, Father, I'm not questioning you, but I don't understand. And I can't tell you here that he's going to give you all the answers. I've walked with the Lord for many, many years, and I can tell you, That there are many times where he has never answered why. But there has always been a presence from the Lord when I've asked why that has filled my heart. And can I tell you, after 42 years or whatever it's been that I have been walking with the Lord, I will tell you that in his presence I have learned I don't always need to know why. His presence is enough to carry the day in Jesus' mighty name. Can you give God all the praise in this house? Bless the Lord. But again, that's not the primary message. The primary message in this statement 
that I believe the Lord is saying to all of us, but in particular those of you that do not know Him, I was forsaken by the Father so that you wouldn't have to be. See that you do not refuse this gift today. Folks, this is the message of Christmas. Can I tell you that Christmas is not about Bethlehem? It is not about away in the manger, no room in the inn. It's not about shepherds and angels we have heard on high and wise men traveling from the east following the star. All of those things may be important and even vital details to the story, but they are not the story. The story of Christmas is that 2,000 years ago, God the Son became flesh and dwelt among us. He was tempted at every point just like we are and yet without sin, which put him in a unique position as our high priest because not only can he sympathize with our weaknesses, but he can also energize us in our weaknesses so that we would never fail but overcome in Jesus' mighty name. Many of you know that at 33 and a half years old, Jesus was proven in the highest court in Jerusalem by Pilate himself to be innocent of all the charges that were ever brought against him. And still, at the cry of the mob, was sentenced to death as a criminal in the form of crucifixion, which put him again in the unique position to bear the sins of mankind and not his own. Jesus died upon that cross and with those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? He tells us that he absorbed the true penalty of our sin, which is separation from the Father. Listen, all of us in this room have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, another way of saying that is that all of us have sinned in that we have failed to give glory to God. That's what sin is. You were created for the pleasure of Almighty God. You were created to reflect the glory of God in the earth. But all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned to our own way and we have lived for our own glory rather than the glory of Almighty God. And the penalty of our sin is eternal separation from God. Not just death, because even believers die. But we're talking about eternal separation from God, yes, in a place called hell. And it is more horrific than anyone here could even begin to imagine. And that sentence is upon every single man and every single woman because we have all sinned against God. The only hope we have as criminals against God is that God would be willing to forgive us. And that is certainly good news because God has proven himself to be one who is willing to forgive. How many of you are thankful that he is a merciful and forgiving father? He is more than willing to forgive. But as you've heard me say in the past, because God is also a just God, His justice demands that the sentence be carried out. So how is God going to let the guilty go free and still punish for their rebellion? And He did that through His Son. His Son took your sin. He took my sin. And He suffered, even if it was for a moment, separation from the Father when He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, the Father said, It's finished. 
it's sufficient. And now if we come and we confess our sin and we forsake it, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is glad tidings of great joy today. You don't have to live in your sin anymore. You can be set free by the power of Almighty God. Come on, somebody who is saved here today, say amen. Come on, if you're a child of God, give Him the praise in this house. Bless the Lord. And today is the acceptable day. Not tomorrow, today. Because you don't know what tomorrow will hold. I was reading this verse over the weekend, Romans 8, verse 32. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now, no one is going to uh, undermine the fact that it is through Christ God has given freely all things to us. But don't just gloss over the first part of that verse. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up. The implication is clear. If God would not spare his own son, who knew no sin, what would ever make you think he'll spare you if you remain in your sin? I'm not threatening you. I am warning you. If you slip into eternity without Christ as Lord and Savior, You'll be lost. He didn't spare the son. He will not spare you. But Jesus died so you could have everlasting life. Don't turn his gift away. Receive it by faith in Jesus' name. Yeah, go ahead and give him praise here this morning. The fifth thing that Jesus said from the cross. He said after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. As I read that over the last couple of weeks, I just felt as if the Spirit was saying, I thirsted so you wouldn't have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I thirsted so you wouldn't have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You didn't actually think we'd get through Christmas without talking about the Holy Spirit, did you? Isn't it sad that the Holy Spirit of God is almost completely ignored at Christmas? And yet, if you know your Christmas story, there wouldn't be a story without the Holy Spirit of God. Now, just bear with me for a moment. How fitting is it That at the very moment that Jesus recognized the absence of the Father's presence, he acknowledges his thirst. Don't just read through that and and just not consider that. At the very moment that Jesus recognizes the absence of his Father's presence, he acknowledges his thirst. And it is a reminder to every one of us that nothing in this world can satisfy the thirst of man's soul. That when you are cut off from God, you will never be content. There will never be peace in your heart. There will never be joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
And as long as man seeks to find his satisfaction, his completion, and his wholeness in anything or anyone, he will always thirst again. And I wish that somehow I could speak to our nation right now as you see men and women who are so angry and so bitter because they're trying to find their completion in their gender identity and in their sexuality and in the government. And they think that somehow if they claw long enough that they'll find something that will satisfy them I want you to know that there is nothing that can satisfy the thirst of man but the presence of God living in him through the Holy Spirit in Jesus mighty name can you say amen to that Jesus bore thirst on the cross so that we would never have to thirst again because he promised us before he ever went to the cross that once he rose again, he would place within all of his children a river of everlasting water that would always spring up in our soul in Jesus' name. You may remember in John chapter 7, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now many people would stop right there and say, he's talking about salvation, but he isn't. He says, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He wasn't talking about salvation per se. He was talking about once we were saved, we would be indwelt with the Holy Spirit who would be like a continual fountain of everlasting life within us. But he hadn't come yet because Jesus wasn't glorified. But having died and having Having risen from the dead, when he ascended on high, he was glorified and sent the Holy Spirit. You may remember that this is why Jesus, in the upper room on the night that he was betrayed, said to the disciples, It is to your advantage, say advantage. It is to your advantage that I go unto the Father. Because if I do not go unto the Father, I cannot send the Holy Spirit. And that means I can only be with you at one place at one time. But when I go to the Father, the first thing I'm going to do is pray to the Father. And He's going to send you the Holy Spirit. And He's going to come and live and abide in every one of you. So that the works that I've done, you will do also. And greater works than these shall you do. Because I am... I am sending to you the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, we need the Holy Spirit right now in Jesus' name. Because we're not, we're not even doing the works that He did, let alone greater works. We need the Holy Spirit to come in 2020. Can I hear a good amen if you believe that? He says, once I'm glorified, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what, uh, what, what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4? He said, whoever drinks of this water of the well is going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I want you to hear me today. It doesn't matter where you go. It 
It doesn't matter what you buy. It doesn't matter how many marriages you have. I will tell you nothing will satisfy you. It may quench your thirst for a moment, but you'll be thirsty in the next moment. There is only one who can satisfy your soul. It is the Spirit of God welling up inside of you. In Jesus' mighty name. And Jesus said, I thirsted so that you don't have to any longer. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and joy for the rest of your days. Come on, somebody, give the Lord praise in His house here this morning. You know, some of you I know, you you don't understand this, but the entire story of Christmas is bathed with the Holy Spirit. When asked by Mary how she, having never been with a man, could possibly be pregnant, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And by the way, that is exactly how every promise of God in this Bible leaps off the page and gets down into your heart because every one of us have read the Bible and thought, I can't live this way because you think you can do it in your own power. But the Holy Spirit comes and he says, no, 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 we don't flow that way. We don't work that way. It's not in your might nor your power, but it is by the Spirit of God that these things become a reality in your life because I'm going to come upon you and my power is going to overshadow your weakness and this promise is going to become a reality in Jesus' mighty name. When Mary went to meet her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, remember Mary greeted her, and it says it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the baby she had leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when you preach Jesus. The Spirit of God comes in His mighty name. When Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple to be circumcised, they were met by the first man to truly understand who Jesus was and who he would be. We're told in Luke 2 that his name was Simeon and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law he goes on to say that he took baby Jesus into his arms he began to weep and he said now I can die in peace for my eyes have seen the consolation the comforter of Israel I want you to know we need men and women that are filled with the Spirit like this man Simeon was we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit we need the Holy Spirit to reveal what He wants to do in our lives and we need to be led by the Spirit so that we're in the right place at the right time with the right people in bringing about the right things of God in Jesus' mighty name. God, pour out Your Holy Spirit in 2020. We need You in this hour in Jesus' name. Come on, give Him all the praise if you believe this this morning. The sixth thing that Jesus said from the cross It was right after he received the sour wine and he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And I just hear the Lord saying here, I have overcome, be of good cheer. I have overcome, be of good cheer. You know, it's interesting to note that the words, it is finished, were not speaking only of the several hours that he spent on the cross, but literally 
they were declared as the completion of the entire redemptive plan of God that was set in motion in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, you may remember verse number 15, uh, God right after the fall of Adam and Eve turns to Satan, the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity or an enemy between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Many of you recognize this as the very first messianic prophecy. Thousands of years before Jesus was born. And yet, in those few words, there is a powerful revelation that comes forth. Even the virgin birth is there. He says to him, I'm going to raise up an enemy between you and the woman and your seed and her seed. That's interesting because women do not have seed. Men have seed. Women have eggs. And so right there he is declaring the virgin birth of his son. And he says, you're going to have a temporary victory over the Messiah as you bruise his heel, but he is going to deliver an eternal crushing blow when he crushes your head once and for all. And from that moment, man said, when will it be finished? When will it be complete? You may remember that Abraham, by faith, looked for the completion when he turned to his son Isaac and he declared, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And from that moment on, men and women began to look for the final Uh, the final sacrifice where they could say it was finished. And you think of every lamb that was slain on the altars in the Old Testament and every bull and every other animal that shed its blood to temporarily cover the sin of man. But it was all resolved on that day when Jesus said, it is finished. There is no other sacrifice. There is no other name given by which man may be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. Can we give Him all the praise in this house if you know Him as your Savior today. Hallelujah. It is finished means He has won the war and in Him we are more than conquerors. It is finished means that every enemy has been defeated and that by faith in Christ and in Christ alone we have overcome. Some of you say, I've got to beat the devil. What exactly are you waiting for? He was defeated 2,000 years ago. I'm not trying to defeat the enemy. I'm maintaining the victory that was won at the cross in Jesus' mighty name. It is finished means that everything He began in your life, he is able to finish if you do not grow weary. This is why Paul said in Philippians 1 and verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. I know it may not be moving around as fast as you'd like it, but I'm going to tell you, you trust your God and do not grow weary. He will complete it in Jesus' mighty name. Oh, I love Revelation 12 10 that tells us now, Everybody say now. Come on, say it like you mean it. Now. Salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives even unto death in Jesus' name. You remember that Jesus said in John 16 and verse 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world 
world, you will have tribulation. Wow, what a contrast. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, in the world, you will have tribulation. But then he says, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. No wonder the angel said to them on that very night that Jesus was born, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. I'm rejoicing today, not because my life has been insulated from pain, but because I know that He has overcome, and even though I don't see the victory, I see Jesus and he's going to make a way where there seems to be no other way come on give him great shouts of joy today because your Redeemer lives in Jesus mighty name and then the seventh and final word that Jesus said from the cross came about the sixth hour when there was darkness over the whole earth until the ninth hour the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. I can hear the Lord saying, dark times are coming. Commit your life to my hands. The context of this statement is undeniable. I, I had to leave that context in. The sixth hour in the Jewish timetable was between 11 and 12. That was their sixth hour, 11 to 12. So you do the math. From 11 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon, a time when the sun would have been at its full strength, there was a supernatural darkness that prevailed over the whole earth. Even the sun was darkened as creation grieved the death of the Creator. But in the midst of this darkness, Jesus committed His Spirit to the one who would carry Him through. Dark times are coming. I wish that I could stand here and tell you that if you love the Lord and you have all the faith in the world that everything is going to come up roses and there's going to be a million dollar check in your bank account this week. I, we all need that. Like I feel like I've spent a million dollars in the last three weeks. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm not going to stand here and tell you dark times are coming. There are seasoned darkness that fall upon all of us and sometimes that darkness comes when everything should be merry and bright. I mean, it became supernaturally dark at the time when the sun is at its brightest, 11 to 3 o'clock, but still darkness came. What do you do when darkness comes over your marriage? What do you do when darkness comes over your family? Darkness comes over your job. Darkness comes over your walk with the Lord. You ever been in a dry season? when you've prayed and it felt like the Lord was nowhere around. What do you do when the dark times come? You do what Jesus did. I'm going to commit my spirit to your hands in Jesus' name. 
You know what I've always loved about this? Is that just a couple of statements before, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But now he says, even though I may feel that, I'm still going to commit my spirit into your hands. Folks, even when you don't understand, commit yourself to his faithful hands. He'll never let you go. He'll never fail you in Jesus' mighty name. You know, I I was reminded this weekend of uh, in John 6 where there is this mass departure from Christ. Remember, they just leave him in droves because they can't take his message anymore. And Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to go also? And you got to love what Peter said there. Peter said, where am I going to go? Because whether I agree with everything you're saying, whether I understand it all, where am I going to go? You, you have the words of everlasting life. And we have got to come to that place where we say, even when we don't understand, where am I going to go? Father, I I don't understand. I don't know why. But you know what? Where else am I going to go? Only you can deliver me. And so even in the storm, I'm going to praise your holy name. Come on. Give him all the praise. Amen. The good news is, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And you're going to be raised one day in Jesus' name. I love what it says in Matthew 4. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. 1 Peter 2 and verse number 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. In Jesus' mighty name, rejoice, people of God. Your God has not failed you. He's going to see you through in Jesus' name. One more time, give Him all the praise in this house here today. Amen, amen. Bless God. Stand to your feet all over this house. and Can we just for a few moments just lift our hands to the Lord? Can we just worship Him without even a song yet? Can you just lift up your voice and sing your song of praise and your song of worship to Him? Hallelujah. We bless your name, Almighty God. There is none like you. None who has loved us like you have loved us. None who has shown mercy as you have shown mercy to us. We bless your name. We bless your name. Hallelujah. Can we just worship him? We've got, we've got a lot of time. Don't get used to this. <laughs> we've got a lot of time. Lift your voice to him. Magnify his name today. <laughs>